Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the Tyreed Field Movie Debate Podcast hosted by two critics, cool dads, struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. I'm Jurassic Will. Derminion. There you go. We're damn glad to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives washed away any place to hate. We encourage, in the end, excuse me, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, in honor of the new releases and the big summer blockbuster season, we're talking about Jurassic World Dominion, recommended by maybe Stan no one, Lee? no one, no one. Never mind. It's no one, no one. Our format is this: the recommending lover goes first, and I'm probably the kinder of the two of us, so I'll go. This will get five in a. I will get five in a uninterrupted minute. Shower my praise and state my high-minded case for all two stars I gave it on Rotten Tomatoes. The hater follows with five uninterrupted minutes of their own present their counterpoint in any manner of intellectual sports earth. After that, we'll open it up to some shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy. I don't have good dinosaur sound effects, so I'm just going to say, let's go and put my, my Chris Pratt hand up, which also doesn't play well for a podcast, but, you know. Well, one thing. of our mutual friends, Aaron mm-hmm. White. Oh, Aaron White. He's frustrated with the fact that Jurassic World doesn't have a uh, colon and then Dominion. But I actually yeah. been saying the film, it's, the way I say it is Jurassic World Dominion. Like it's mm-hmm. the world dominion. Like it's a Jurassic World Dominion as opposed to Jurassic World Dominion. Yeah. That's kind of how I'm looking at it as an English teacher. Yeah. But that's just sure. Me. I heard he had his wrist slap for the PR people that say, hey, you got to take that colon out of there. Really? I believe so. I don't know. That I don't sounds know. more exciting. Air. I would like to read that email. That would be more <laughs> exciting than this movie. Oh, boy. Well, then, yeah, I hate to air PR dirty laundry out there to fellow critics, but Aaron White, you've, you've been judged for your English and punctuation, although you are right to judge them right back going, hey, I can't help your bad grammar, Universal Pictures. So, all right. I guess I got the five-minute spot of going first. Um, No, I... I'm a normally pretty kind guy about spectacle and all that, where I'm, I'm just, like many people, I'm, I'm just happy there's dinosaurs. I'm happy to have fun in that world. I've got kids that are into dinosaurs, and uh, they're not quite old enough to, you know, handle Jurassic Park yet. But we watched, for example, today, we watched uh, Apple TV's uh, Prehistoric Planet series, which gets all David Attenborough about the narration of, like, dinosaurs and habitats with very photorealistic effects. And my kids were enthralled. And, and there's not, there's, when, when done right, dinosaurs can completely enthrall and um, with no bigger bigger case than that than what Spielberg did in 1993 because, man, that's one of his top hits for a darn good reason. And we all look back on the wonder of that movie and find just a, a hallmark of memories, whether they're thrilling ones or, or wondrous ones and all that. And that's why the movie is a cherished favorite. But with each movie since, and it, it's just a, such a damn shame because really all you need to do is have dinosaurs. But um, the diminishing returns get ugly in a hurry where uh, by the time we've reached Jurassic World Dominion, this brand new film, which promises to be the, the closure of this new trilogy, it, you have, and I say it in my review for sure, um, you have this fantastic springboarded premise handed to you by the previous movie Fallen Kingdom where you have um, men and and dinosaurs living together and coexisting in a world of whoever the top predator of the planet is and you have that should be that should be dynamite premise alone that should be enough to have us be like wow what would that be like if they crossed over with us and how much trouble would that be and would it be not just a extended version of what it was like in san diego and in lost world but what would what kind of chaos would that bring and the opening news report of this movie makes it look like a minor inconvenience, like shitty traffic in L.A. We're like, oh, gosh, I guess there's a dinosaur in the way. Life goes on, you know. <laughs> and it just takes a dynamite, heady premise and pisses it away for, for chasing its tail, for, for scribbled cocktail napkin script ideas that they just don't know how to stitch together in any kind of way. And, and then, as a, as a nostalgia piece and a legacy sequel you you bring back sam neill jeff goldblum and uh laura dern academy award winner laura dern to kind of reprise their characters and i admit as a from a lover standpoint as much as i'm that guy who's like hey all you gotta do is show me dinosaurs in a way all you gotta do is bring back three of three favorite characters and i'm i'm endeared enough to go oh sweet here we go this could be nice and the film does 
give them a chance for a hot second or two to uh, let them kind of live into those characters and get into their old act. I enjoyed the slow down scene with, with Ellie Sadler and Sam Neill at her site where she's kind of cajoling him into joining her and whatever quest he's on. And we see his reservations and what it, what it takes to do that. And that kind of matches where he's always been. And it's even as a silver fox, Sam Neill, it, it plays well. But then the movie kind of just, like I said, takes, takes what could be a good premise, what, what could be big moments, and then just chases his tail for a bit of the same thing we've already seen before. We have another facility, um, another attempt to clone, tame, scientifically explore, hold on to dinosaurs, and, and of course, naturally, it's a nefarious corporation that is, we all think is well-meaning that isn't, and that all goes to hell because that's what's going to happen when you try to control things you can't control, and it's like no one's ever learned anything in 30 years, and even from a script-writing standpoint, I feel like no one's learned anything in 30 years either because the, every heady idea we think we can get, it just gets pissed away or forgotten or tabled because of either a Glamour Project Star moment or a special effects idea that thinks, it, you know, uh, a set of storyboards that would look really good for, for a little bit, but there's not anything with a spine, pun included, with our dinosaurs and skeletons and all that, but there's, there's not a spine of of either stakes, wonder, or integrity that kind of put this whole thing together to kind of matter. They, they want to throw things there to kind of show them off, but they don't really matter. They're not given enough depth to do so. And it's a shame because, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll watch Chris Pratt do some Chris Pratt things when he gets the chance, if, we, if they ever let him. Bryce Dallas Howard is not a damsel in distress, which is wonderful. And, of course, like I said before, the three main characters from the OG series are, are nice to have back for a cup of coffee, but that coffee just gets spilled and, and dumped around. And I just, I, it's just, it's, I see some charm in what's there, but more than anything, it's just a very large disappointment. And that's a shame because it should be easy and it, they just piss it away. Oh, I, I was on, I was on mute. So I, I was scoffing many times during your thing. Cause I believe you are, it pretty nice i mean i am nice i'm sorry i mean all right let me get my i should have had my charger ready but i didn't because i'm an idiot um my charger what am i talking about this movie I'm made not... me dumb um you don't where... say. okay well yeah that's the excuse i'm using today okay all right i'm starting my five minutes all right okay so yeah you are too nice um, and this is a tough one for me because I have defended these type of movies coming out for a long time because I don't necessarily believe that something that is either watched by no one or watched by everyone is automatically bad or automatically not art. So people, when they see me maybe trashing this film, are going to be like, well, wait a minute, you go to bat for the Marvel films. And I'm like, well, OK, well, there's a big difference here. Is that you know with Marvel it, it they take a lot of the art and story and character first and the money is a bonus. I feel like the opposite is true of this Jurassic World franchise, um, you know. And I don't know. It's not unfair to compare these to Jurassic Park, you know. Um, and Jurassic Park um, was a true artistic slash commercial juggernaut you know it 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 satisfied everybody it made money and it was also a beautiful film that was constructed um you know with state-of-the-art technology i mean i, I read the stories about jurassic park and they're hilarious because you know they were going to do stop motion animation with phil tippett and these guys they wanted to do cgi they were told not to do cgi and they just did it on their own to prove they could do it. And then that became the standard bearer. And for a long time with a lot of Spielberg stuff, just like with Jaws and just like with George Lucas and Star Wars, you know, people have been chasing the Jurassic Park experience. So to use these Jurassic World movies as a comparison to them is only fair because it is based directly on Jurassic Park. And you can see the difference between art and commerce here. Is there some passion behind the scenes? Absolutely. Um, is there skill? Absolutely. There are moments in this film. There's one particular moment with Bryce Dallas Howard that I found very compelling and interesting. And I was hoping the whole movie would have been that. Um, but you know, 
this does feel like you, you can tell just like you can with a used car salesman or a telemarketer on the phone or anytime you get approached by those people when you approach a restaurant or something, they're like, hi, would you like to help children? And you're like, oh, crap, I got to tell them no. But <laughs> because you know that you're going to be pitched something, you're going to be sold something, you're going to be try, you're being forced to watch a product. And that's unfortunately what Jurassic World has become. I don't know what the intentions were to start this franchise. It ended up, the first Jurassic World ended up becoming one of the best in terms of money box office films of all time. I mean, it's up there, I think in the top 10, maybe I, I don't know specifically, but it became such a hit. They were like, well, we got to make more sequels. And they did. And then, and then, and with this convergence of legacy sequels and the Marvel cinematic universe, you know, it's, it's all the rage now to bring back older characters and Jurassic world dominion does that even on the cheap. It doesn't feel earned. They bring up characters and storylines and they become more, iconography than character like it felt like they when they bring back sam neill in this movie sam neill wonderful actor been in so many great things you know it feels like it's more important to show him with the ascot and the hat than actually show the character any character arc he had in jurassic park is seemingly destroyed in this one though i haven't seen jurassic park 3 so i don't know what they do with this character in that one but uh in this one it seems like well everything that was earned at least in jurassic park is gone in this one um and everything feels forced. It feels like it's trying to hit all the quadrants without any passion or, or I'm not going to say artistry because there's a lot of people that work on the technical sides and, you know, uh, crew and everything like that, that put their heart and souls in this kind of stuff. So I'm not demeaning that, but I am demeaning perhaps the corporate suits that just go, yeah, throw another Jurassic world out there. And for all intents and purposes, it's working because it's making $400 million in its first weekend. Will it have a massive drop-off? I mean, even Doctor Strange, which I think is a great film, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness had a 76% drop-off, so I expect the same from this. It just, I feel like I'm, I'm watching the used car salesman of movies when I watch this, and that it's get, telling me everything I want, telling me everything I want to hear, showing me everything I want to see, Dinosaurs, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, dinosaurs, 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 and instead is basically just plopping a clunker on me and expecting me to pay for it for 75 months. That's my five minutes. Nicely done. Yeah, I, I, I can't, can't fault you there, man. So uh, please enjoy this short announcement from our Ruminations Radio Network. You've been listening to another fine, fine podcast on the Rumination Radio Network. This is Game Agent E.T. from Oh God, It Hurts! And we hope you keep on listening to our fine, fine podcast here on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. All right, welcome back. No, um, just to kind of help you fact check here a little bit of pieces and parts here. At the time Jurassic World came out, it was number four all time in terms of lifetime calling grosses. It has since okay. dropped to number seven since okay, I just top ten. still top 10 still top 10 yeah I, i'm trying to think where the t here's your top 10 just for shits and giggles here um avatar still 2.8 billion avengers endgame 2.79 for kind of 2.8 billion titanic 2.2 force awakens 2 billion avengers infinity war 2 billion and then you have six through ten spider-man no way home jurassic world the lion king which would be the 2019 lion king uh, wow. The OG Avengers in 2012, and number 10 is Furious 7, which means three of the top 10 all came out in 2015, with Avengers Age of Ultron at number 12 right behind it. So, Well, and here. to kind of support my defense, yeah, you know, you've got three epic franchises there in that top 10. Sure I do. mean, you've got a fourth one on the way, because Avatar is going to have 95 sequels, oh, but... Yeah. Um, You've got the Fear and Fast and Furious movies, you've got the Jurassic World movies, and you've got the Marvel movies. Yeah. And like I said, I think a lot of people, when they're not discerning and they're not looking deep into it, you can lump those three together and say, oh, this is just the Hollywood machine pumping out. Right. And, you know, but I don't agree with that. And I, and I think this movie actually can show you the difference between um, something like an Endgame or an mm -hmm. Infinity War. Or, or even even the the quote unquote lower entries like an Ant Man and the Wasp or sure. you know, an Eternals or something 
where you know the stakes aren't quite as high and you can see the artistic integrity of it the story and characters coming first compared to this where it just feels like they're like well we need a hero chris pratt that works and mm-hmm. then not using chris pratt and then having sam neill and going yeah. let's have sam neill but let's make sure he looks like he does in the first one and they make callbacks to it and there's like nostalgia masturbation mm-hmm. but no actual substance you know and, no, and that's I I, I think that's what you can take from this is you can get you can look at these and go, you know, yeah, they're all making money and they're dominating Hollywood, but one right. actually has some kind of integrity behind it. This one feels like, like I said, someone trying to sell me a product. I'm with you there. And um, just for shits and giggles again, uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is number 16. And likely that would have been higher when you subtract, you know, some of the 2019 and 2021 things that have come since it, like it would have been about three spots higher than that. So, and yeah. 1.3 billion you know, worldwide. So the, the, yeah, these things make money and that's going to push them to keep you going forward. And I'm with you. You, um, this movie, I feel like can't decide which character it wants to really put at stake in other than the fact that I feel like at the end of the day, it's the Maisie, it's the Maisie movie, you know, because she supposedly is being billed as this linchpin, especially if they're going to be like, you know, well, it's all her fault that the dinosaurs are out from hitting that button at the end of Fallen Kingdom. So they've thrust importance onto her and i don't know if there's shoulders there to kind of hold that up because like you said chris pratt begins this movie kind of as the as the yellowstone <laughs> um indifferent rancher who's just out there to keep some dancers safe and do his move and of course keep this girl safe if there's a you know a uh surrogate parent angle here that allows chris and bryce to have some minor heartbeats it's it's nice that there's a there's a, I'm going to do everything I can to get Maisie back kind of thing. And I'll commend that for Chris. And if that's all the arc you're going to get out of him, unfortunately, that's par for the course in these kinds of movies where we should be so lucky to get that. But at the same time, I'm with you. By the time it's a, a hero moment, it just still feels disinterested. Like even when he's on that motorcycle trying to drive away, it's I'm just kind of doing this to get to the plane and get to my girl, but I guess there's some raptors here too. I have to deal with it. And hold on, let me let me still look stern and scowling, you know, and look tough riding a motorcycle. Where some of the and and you said this in other places uh, in terms of talking about Chris mm-hmm. is he has megawatt charm that we get the smallest hints at in Jurassic World, like when he's just busting Bryce's balls for coming to recruit him. Um, their little first exchange is great. And then that's kind of it, the rest of the movie. And you have a hint of that when she tries to bust his balls and find him again in Fallen Kingdom, and it's even shorter. And then by the time they're here, it's just parent mode, where the, it's almost like marriage, you know? Um, the, the, <laughs> it, yeah. the, the, the thrill of it is gone, and it's all about the kid. So, and that, yeah, so now he's charmless. By the time you reach the three OG characters who come in just to kind of scurry through the underbowels of this company with the double agent thing, it, they look like boobs running around a factory. You know, it just it looks like a Laverne and Shirley episode. I just don't know where they're going with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're, the things that are given consequence, Maisie and half of this pilot story aren't, aren't, aren't enough. And then the dinosaurs don't have consequence and it kind of falls apart from there. Yeah, I, I we were talking about this on kicking in the seat, which mm. unfortunately we recorded right before this. So like, my enthusiasm was already low for this movie, and now yeah. I'm going on my second hour of talking about this fucking thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it reminds me of, and this is another product thing, you know. And I, I hate to go back to the Marvel stuff, but it's like, you know, who would be, you know, let's go back to Iron Man, right? Like, who would have mm-hmm. been the best choice for Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. or maybe a bigger star at the time that was less of a risk. You know, part of the reason why Iron Man worked is because it was a fantastic actor in Robert Downey Jr., but also that it was kind of, there was a risk factor there. It was kind of an unknown element. I think, you know, Chris Pratt, who delivered one of my all-time favorite performances. I know people get on me about this, but, you know, I rank Star-Lord up there with Han Solo and Indiana Jones as my favorite heroes. Um, I love his performance in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think, uh, as well as Infinity War, he's excellent in Infinity War. Um, you know, I think they saw it and went, he's a big name, let's just cast him, you know, without considering, it was more the name and the face as opposed to the talent. You know, it was more mm-hmm. like, let's cram as many people as we can into this movie that's, that are big, 
and Chris Pratt was a huge name. But Chris Pratt also, unlike perhaps some stars of yesteryear who do not have talent, <laughs> you know, they're there for their good looks. You know, he's got talent. It's just that these movies have never utilized any of them. It reminds mm-hmm. me, as I talked about on Kicking the Seat, it reminds me of when they tried to make Ben Affleck an action star and like things like Armageddon and Reindeer Games and stuff. I mean, obviously later day Ben Affleck, when he started doing CrossFit and became Batman, I mean, he, he sells as an action hero, but back then what sold mm-hmm. Ben Affleck was the fact that he was kind of like the guy next door that had a great sense of humor was charming, yeah. was attractive, but wasn't like, I don't think Ben Affleck was like a heartthrob. He wasn't like a Brad Pitt. Yeah, you know? but and he was so, thrust into that with Armageddon for sure. Right, so they throw him into these movies and say like, okay, you're Ben Affleck, you're the next star. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the next action star. And it never worked. And that's why Affleck's had this kind of up and down career until he could finally get a grab of something that was him. You know, because yeah. it, it's just like when you watch Ben Affleck in Chasing Amy, where he's brilliant. He's brilliant. And then you watch so him good. in armageddon and he's good i mean they 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 at least gave him some funny lines for him to deliver i mean and he sells he sells the scene at the end of armageddon where he's saying goodbye to bruce willis i mean that's not that scene makes me cry that's he's sure. good at it i mean at least they gave him a little bit of his talent but they still were kind of taking some of the aflac out of aflac mm-hmm. with these movies they take the pratt out of pratt i mean i, think I hear you there one line in jurassic world and I don't even know if it's politically correct, but like, I think Bryce Dallas Howard says something like, you know, can't you, can't you sniff their path or something? And he's like, I was in the Navy and I wasn't working with the Navajo or something like that. Yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah. That was a Pratt line. It was funny. Yeah. It was delivered funny, but most of that, he's just the square jawed in, in fallible hero. And that is right. the antithesis of Chris Pratt. What That's makes Star Lord so amazing. And this is what makes Han Solo amazing and Indiana Jones amazing is that they are not perfect. They're extremely flawed. Mm-hmm. And, 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 in, and in Star-Lord's case, because Han Solo and um, Indiana Jones are still kind of that old school man mentality. Right. The thing about Star-Lord is that he cries. He's upset. He has emotions. He wears his emotions on his sleeve. Like none of that is in any of these movies. And it's to the point where when you watch Jurassic World Dominion, and you've got, at the very least, the, the original three characters from Jurassic Park, at the very least, you have attachment to them. Even right. if it's just because they were in a prior movie, you still have a relationship with them. So you get to have that. Even if they don't do anything with it, which they don't, yeah. um, you still have that tenuous connection. Mm-hmm. But I was watching, uh, and this movie does this a lot, um, there's a lot of like Spielbergian um, uh, and Marvel-esque like character reveals. Like there's a scene in the beginning when um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, who I don't even know her character's name, is they're trying to bust out like a dinosaur from like the illegal pens or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. and this door opens on a truck and there's this zoom in and this musical flourish and it's two characters from the last movie whose names I don't know and I didn't even remember were in that movie. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to have this emotional impact, like, oh my God, it's him. It's yeah. her. It's nameless person, you know? And then they just disappear. So I was thinking about it. And I'm thinking, okay, I've got a scene now, you know, which they're hoping would be like, you know, the Avengers moment where you get Thor talking to Iron Man, you know? I get Chris Pratt talking to Sam Neill. And I get, um, you know, the little girl talking to Jeff Goldblum. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park. And I love that character. And I love, he's so quotable and he has so many things. And then I'm like, what is, I don't even remember what any of these characters from the Jurassic world series, what they are doing, what their point is, what their background is, who their family is. They are blank slates. And to be three movies deep and to still have them be blank slates is a criminal offense. Right. Or even, or, or if they're just made to be these flexible, you know, uh, Gumby-esque little placeholders for the action you need them. Like, because that's Bryce Dallas Howard. Like, mm-hmm. in the first movie, she's the heels-wearing suit who gets thrust yep. into the, the disaster thing. She's not a Greenpeace activist warrior until the no. part of the second movie, and then the for sure thrown into that in this movie where 
she might as well be Lara Croft Tomb Raider at this point. So, mm-hmm. and, and that just seems to be too big of a leap where, like you said, if there was invested history paid to these characters, either the, there's an arc that covers that or there's a history where that was always there and none of that exists for that. And yeah, we have Chris Pratt coming from the Navy and being a Raptor trainer. And the second movie <clears throat> did a decent job of using those old like training videos to show his relationship with blue, which are brilliant because you're, you, you got, you have that soft side of Chris Pratt showing out, even though it's in, you know, quote unquote archival footage, but you can at least see like, Hey, they're, they're putting some history with blue and not, not just that, but giving us some history of Chris Pratt too. And that you would think that could maybe create, I don't want to say stakes, but just create just some a little more concrete and drama to where it goes. But then we're just back to, I want to say blue in the haunted house. And even in this movie, it's the, I'll get your girl back. And it's nice that he's going to, you know, rescue, rescue blues kid. But Mm. I don't know. There's just that, that finishing beat to it. That's just not quite there. Like, they attempted that seed by doing the archival stuff in the Fallen Kingdom to build that blue and, and Owen relationship, but I don't know. It's not. It's nowhere near. Here, I'll give a counter example: James Franco and Caesar in the first Plane of the Apes remake. Like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. an invested relationship, right. an invested relationship that, and maybe it helps that Caesar can talk for two movies after I was that. But say like, they talk, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, but like, we see Andy Serkis's performance always call back to his deepest origins of like his, his first connection to humans keeps coming out in those two, ex, you know, uh, heightened sequels to that trilogy, which are to me, one of the most brilliant trilogies we've got, but mm. this one just doesn't can't match that height. Can't, can't get there. Yeah. And this is not a new phenomenon either because, um, this is true. So I'm not just bashing on Jurassic world. Um, and I'm not just bashing on Hollywood in general. I can't say anything about the uh, Fast and Furious films because I've only seen two of them. And I I can't make a comment on Mission Impossible because I've only seen the first one. So, you know, those are kind of those long-running series that are going on right now. But Mm -hmm. I do remember, you know, I I think that this, this goes to Marvel versus DC. This goes to a lot of different brands. You know, when something is a success... Um, people want to get the feeling, but they want to rush into it and cheat along the way. Like I remember yeah. shortly after, um, I think it was, and if I'm wrong on this, on the timing, let me know, but I'm pretty sure Lord of the Rings had already come out in some capacity. I don't know if all three films had come out or what, but you know, Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe came out. And Let's see, Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe was 05. All three Lord of the Rings were done by then. Okay, perfect. So people were trying to replicate that success of that oh, epic, yeah. you know, how can Lord we make another Rings. Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. Which, like Marvel to me, is almost becoming kind of a one-off because even when Peter Jackson went back to make The Hobbits, and I know they have their defenders, I don't even think yeah. they could pull off. But Because uh, I think those movies are terrible. But um, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, I remember, you know, it was kind of like you know, Lord of the Rings took its time. I mean, the first, you know, 10 minutes of that movie is prologue, you know, oh, narrative, yeah. Kate Blanchett, and the movie is almost four hours long and it's it Fellowship of the Ring and it takes you, like it gives you all of the background you need to earn the dramatic moments. And I remember mm-hmm. Lion Witch Wardrobe, they're, they're throwing so much stuff at you, like lore and history. There was a time at the final battle because those movies had to have a final battle at the end. There was one part where, I guess the main boy character, whatever his name, he looks to this guy that we've only seen once and he's like a Minotaur thing or something. And he goes like, will you fight with me? And the Minotaur with the music swelling goes with my life, you know? And you're like, wow, I felt nothing there. Like it wasn't like, I feel like a lot of this stuff is like here, here's the stuff you want. It's like throwing a puzzle at someone and saying, well, this is what you wanted. You wanted this picture. Yeah, And it's like, well, you didn't put the pieces together to make me enjoy the picture. Like, I have to do the work. And I think like a movie like this, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, many other pop culture things right now that are trying to replicate the Marvel method of having that emotional connection are giving you the puzzle, but you have to put the pieces together. They're expecting you to do the work and make the connection. So like, you know, when 
in moments in this movie when you get to see the original three characters together, you know, Ian Malcolm and all of them, you know, you mm-hmm. go, oh, like you hear the little do 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 do, and you're like, yeah. eh. and and it's it's saying like, see here, look, these are the pieces, but you put it together. Like we're not going to take the time to put the puzzle together for you. Here's the pieces and you make it yourself. And I think that's very lazy. I agree. And- it belittles, it belittles audience investment, you know, in sure. it. Well, it belittles it because like, like you're saying, historically good films do that. And it's not, I can't say it's, it's you. I like what you said where you're throwing a puzzle at somebody where it's not that we still have to do work when we're watching Lord of the Rings spell out his prologue and, 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 you know, open up his history book. But at the same time, you know, it still, you know, justifies where you're, where, where you're, where they're going to go versus here where, like you said, just throw the puzzle, like, Oh no, I'm sure it's a glorious puzzle and all, maybe it can all make sense, but I'm not going to get that puzzle done in two hours, you guys, you know? And yeah, where take this movie, you know, you have what about a, two two and a half minute uh newsreel thing at the very beginning that rehashes what dinosaurs have kind of been for supposedly four years which yes it, but that's not that's not yeah that, like you said that's that's not kate blanchett you know filling in the cracks or 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 you know um weaving the history this is not ken burns documentary either where nothing is there to feel compelling in fact we're getting a hit piece on a news channel you know it's just not yeah. there's no well, way to the other thing, too, and I, I hate to... I mean, it's tough to compare things to Lord of the Rings because I think Lord of the Rings is such a cinematic yeah. achievement. It's and a high bar, right. But, you know, the other thing that worked in its favor, and this goes all the way back to the book, too, mm-hmm. is we have this prologue. I mean, what people forget is, you know, a lot of movies build up to, like, final battles, right? The cool right. thing about Fellowship of the Ring is it opens with, like, the end-of-the-world battle between... It sure does. Men and elves versus Sauron, Right. Yeah, And you see, you can just feel how impactful that was, how big the world is. You know, you see all these armies fighting each other. And then what happens is the story reverts to hobbits running mm-hmm. around fields drinking beer. And you're like, holy crap, these guys are innocent and they're so small. And there's this world out there that's so much bigger than them. And you know, then you learn that this small little guy from this part of the world that – has nothing to do with any of this large, impactful stuff is going to be the biggest part of that world. And, and then the world slowly builds again up to the point where by the time you get to the third movie, you have this epic men and elves versus the end of the world mm-hmm. thing. It's it's almost like it lays the stakes out for you and gives you the, you know, like I never have ever felt like in any of these movies, but especially this one, I've yeah. never felt like the dinosaurs were ever a real threat to anyone, including our main characters, with the I, exception of a scene here or there. Mm-hmm. But th- there's not that moment where, like, because when you watch like Lord of the Rings, you're like terrified for Frodo the entire time. Oh, sure. You know the stakes, and you know that he's not built for this. But like, no, when you have a Chris Pratt who can make, who can do nothing yeah. wrong and gets out of every situation, you know. And he's taming dinosaurs, you know, like mm-hmm. it just doesn't have the same level of stakes or importance or level of danger. Yeah. You know, and I that goes back to the first film, you know. Imagine if like this movie didn't it takes takes everything that was in that newsreel, but doesn't narrate him as the news and shows you that footage where for but slows down like mm-hmm. for five minutes instead of two minutes. Right. It just shows us scenes like a montage of little happenings around the world of dinosaurs interacting with people. No narration, no news, no Karens going, oh my God, what are these dinosaurs doing? <laughs> we, we just watch the intersection of people and beasts. And, right. and some of it being like that, that short film, you know, uh, big, you know, Big Rock and things like that, where you just watch little pieces of an allosaurus getting away with the family or you know, the, the, you know, the, ter- you know, the pteranodons doing their nests on the top of the world, you know, the World Trade Center one. And, if you just showed those things cinematically instead of a news thing, put no narration to it, you just swell the score and and just and you just hop around the world to show everybody, hey, this is the world we're in right now. That's all you had to do to put gravitas instead of speed to it. 
Well, we were talking about this on Kicking the Seat. It, it feels like, and you mentioned the Planet of the Apes. Uh, now, here's a shocker. I haven't seen any of those new ones. I'm a big fan oh of the originals. God. I never They're saw so them. Good. Yeah, I need to wipe that off the list soon. But um, I do know that just like in the original films, that the, what is it the second one or the third one where it's basically like apocalyptic, essentially? Like yeah, the world second is one is, yeah. The second one is, um, so at the end of the first one, this is not a spoiler, like there's, um, there's like a simian flu that kind of like, effect, like makes them smarter but kills us or right. makes us sick enough to kill us. So the human population is completely depleted and it, they're living in squalor. And these apes that started up in California are completely dominant, you know, in the woods and in near woods and, and have to, you know, and the people are, have, are just outmatched. So it's right. just they're, they're subjected to, you know, the infighting of the apes more than anything. And it's people don't matter. It's amazing. Well, and that's and that's why, and and I'll I'll mention this with the first film too. But I think that's another reason why this film doesn't work too. Is they should have gone that route because yeah, at the end not of minor the inconveniences, movie, not bad traffic, not annoying yard animals. Yeah, exactly. Show, like, it's, show it, destruction. Yeah, the world is fine in this movie. Like it's yeah, yeah it's, it's like you said, it's a minor inconvenience, and it's that should not be the case because no. let's look at the first movie. Okay, because and once again, just like with Lord of the Rings, I mean, Jurassic Park is a cinematic landmark. It's seminal movies. I mean, it's hard to compare to anything, you know, in terms of the the effect Jurassic Park had on many different things. But Mm -hmm. the cool thing about Jurassic Park was first, the main characters get lost in like the woods and the park. Right. Yeah. And they've got to survive in the dinosaurs territory. Mm-hmm. But then the, the the end of that movie, the climax of that movie takes place in all of the human areas where you think you'd be safe, right? Oh, the doors are locked or yeah, yeah. I'm in it an advanced or computer room, uh-huh. but they adapt. They find ways to open the doors. They find ways to use your environment against you, you know? And like, so it shows you not only that, you know, this species would like obviously dominate us in, in like nature, but mm-hmm. they're going to find ways to screw with us too in our quote unquote safe areas. And if anything, and I'm, I'm probably, I don't know who said this on kicking the seat. So I might be ripping them off a little bit here, but if anything, when you left that movie, you were like, well, thank God those people are stuck. Those dinosaurs are stuck on that Island. Can you imagine what would happen if they were loose in the world? Mm-hmm. You know, but now we know what they're like loose in the world and it's really no big deal. Yeah. Whatever. And same thing, by the time we get to the end of this movie where nothing more really happened other than one more facility that can't hold the dinosaurs, can't hold the dinosaurs, and they're still wandering the same place as they were. Now just in the Dolomite Mountains of Italy, what do you do? You know, it, there's not, there's no big world. You're, we're calling this place Jurassic World. There should be world-level stakes and change, and we get none. So, or not enough. Yeah, and it's, and, and this is something that um, has kind of, affected movies for a long time it's very american like this is like an american problem like even independence day which they they indicated it's affecting the whole world you really don't see the uh, the rest of the world fighting this problem it's just the americans you know and of course Mm -hmm. the americans figure everything out yeah this kind of has the same thing yeah it's in italy somewhere just like you know the original one was in costa rica or whatever Mm -hmm. but this is very much like it's not a world this was pretty much just like yeah, the U.S. and some underground people. <laughs> you know, like it's not really yeah. like you're not seeing like Japan help out or or uh, China or Russia or you know African countries, European countries. It's just the good U.S. of A. Right, and even when they're in Europe, it's the U.S.A. So there there is like a lack of worldness, not just to like how the dinosaurs are affecting it, but also to like the characters. This should be like a worldwide. Mm-hmm like cast of care, like the best of the, it's almost like what yeah. Prometheus was before it got stupid. That's like, a good it's, way like of putting it. it's like, Hey, the best of the best from the entire world are here to investigate this. But instead yeah. it's Chris Pratt on horse. Yeah. You know, and, like, and three and three old re- retirees that we happen to know from other things. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very limiting in the world thing now. And I, I will admit that, you know, even Marvel has this problem. Like, um, mm-hmm. like 
Infinity War isn't really like a war. It's more of like a skirmish, you know, like over days. Multiverse of Madness, you know, there's not a lot of madness and there's a couple of multiverses, but it's not like as wide ranging as it sounds. No. But I mean, like you said, though, I mean, they can get away with that a little bit with some explanations. But with this, it's like, yeah, Jurassic World Dominion. Mm-hmm. This is the yeah. dominion of dinosaurs all over the world, but no, nope, we're just going to be in a little camp in Italy, you know. And, and it, it doesn't make sense. And the other thing I, I brought up on kicking the seat, and I wanted to get your take on it because I don't remember what okay. you said. This feels very Star Wars to me. This this film and this franchise, it feels very Star Wars has, and I'm probably going to piss some people off there because I'm not really a Star Wars person. Um, I enjoy the original trilogy. Um, I like Phantom Menace. I do not like the other two in the prequels, and I liked Force Awakens and nothing else after that. So I'm mm-hmm. picking shoes, and I've never watched the shows. But one thing that's always struck me about Star Wars is they're always kind of stuck within their own storyline. They never expand out of it. They focus on the iconography of characters as opposed to developing the characters. And also, it feels like they focus on things more for fan reaction than fluid storytelling. And I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it with Star Wars and nailed it in terms of a comp to Jurassic World here. Yeah, because one thing I noticed about this one was Sam Neill and Laura Dern never feel organic. They feel like you're getting a greatest hits of what the characters were before and they're being defined by those characteristics. What I mean by that is like you see Alan Grant with the ascot and the hat, right? And there's yeah. even a scene where like his hat falls down and he's yeah. like, I got to get my hat back. And you're like, no, 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 no. Like the hat has nothing to do with Alan Grant's character, but the iconography of Alan Grant with the hat. I mean, all the toys I had of Alan Grant as a kid had mm-hmm. the hat, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't even remember. Doesn't he lose the hat in the first one? I mean, I don't even think he has the hat for very long in the first no, one, I, but they no, make I, it. If, yeah. If there's one, if there's one character that's treated a shade better than, than what you're talking about is, is Laura Dern. She, um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Well, a little bit like, like she at least like, got out of the field that you know you could tell she's professored a few things you could tell she's taken on other assignments like by the way her character's introduced in this with the locust and all that and even when you see her she has a brief appearance in jurassic park three uh oh, a book ending. Yeah, you'll see it if when you catch up but like she has like got married and had kids and you know and right. and is like a confidant of sam neill even though they're not you know together or close or anything like that where she she is a confident career-driven woman not in a, you know, but career driven in the, for the science that she still represents. Like right. she, that never buckles. It's not like she quit dinosaurs to go do some quote unquote real career. No, her career is still this, right. but, it, it, but with, with, with added concentration and with, with good wisdom and age. And I think she, I, maybe that's because Laura Dern's an Oscar winner, but she, I feel like of the, of the OG character, she conveys that here enough to be like, Hey, I, I'm still a darn good, confident and expert woman in this give me a chance to prove that. Whereas, like you said, Sam's chasing the hat and Ian's chasing the snark. Uh, and, and she to, yeah. Whereas <laughs> Laura just has to stand, you know, Laura could still kind of be stalwart enough to be like, no, I'm no, still not going to be the damsel in distress. I'm going to kick ass where I need to. And, and she got, she has a nice little tag team action scene where she, she and Bryce, who also to her credit has not had to be a, too much right. of a damsel in distress. They have a fun scene together where, like, you know, Girl Power Unites, you know, and that's not too, too bad. But, no, for the most part, you are dead right. The iconography, like, because that's that's where Ian Malcolm is, and that's where Sam Neill is. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Alan Grant is. That's exactly how they're being played here. And now we're at a point, three movies in, where kind of Chris Pratt is just the hand in the vest, where he's, now he's a victim of the iconography, where... What, what's the only thing we know about him? He can tame raptors and look cool doing it with stubble, you know, and he's good at a motorcycle. Just let's just have him redo that again, you know, because it, it works. If it ain't broke, you'll fix it. So, yeah, yeah, the, the victims of the iconography is huge there for sure. Well, and and two other aspects that remind me of Star Wars is so Star Wars has this horrible thing of I, I think it started as a joke and then it just became. So serious. Like whenever you watch Star Wars, and I guarantee you it happens in the shows, and I don't even watch them, but there's always a character who shows up that was part of 
you know, one of the original movies or something that is suddenly okay. now a big part of the story, you know, like ah, not, even, uh-huh. not even a big part of the story, but just like they get a name and a character. Like I, I remember back in the day, like Empire Strikes Back, there was a dude in the background that was carrying like an ice cream machine, you know, mm-hmm. like as an accident, like just a bad prop. But, you know, someone was like, let's make an action figure out of that. It became a joke. But then it kind of became yeah. like the norm. Like, you uh-huh. know, Greedo shows up in Phantom Menace. And, yeah. you know, there's all this stuff. And, and, and this one does the same thing because, you know, we literally have B.D. Wong, great actor, mm-hmm. who uh, played scientist number one in Jurassic Park, right? Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't even have a name, only shows up to do exposition. Um, but then in this Jurassic World thing, they're like, well, he's, you know, we'll remember him, right? You know, he was in Jurassic Park. He's one of the mm-hmm. ones who lived, we guess. So, you know, they'll be like, okay, well, now he's the main villain. Like, he's one of the villain scientists. And he's always showing up now in all the movies. Now he's got a tragic backstory. Now he's got an arc that needs to be, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's like, okay, enough. Just, you don't need to grab everything. Because I guarantee if Nedry was still alive or Samuel Jackson or Muldoon, they would be shoehorned in this movie some way to, to make them relevant when really, I mean, they've served their purpose in the first one. You know, they were either cannon right. fodder for the dinosaurs or exposition dumps. And now they're like important characters. Like one of the major emotional arcs of this movie is BD Wong making up for all the wrongs he did. But A, I don't care. And B, I don't remember the wrongs he did in the first place. You know, so it doesn't it doesn't matter when you're banking on it. You know what I mean? It's stupid. Yeah. And then like I, I guess I surprised the people in kicking the seat where Campbell Scott's nefarious character is meant to be Dodson, Nedry's little, you know, uh competitor embryo stealer that was supposed to be the Barbasol yeah. character. Like unless you're got a super sharp ear and paying attention, I know they bring back the silly shaving cream can for a quick little nod in his office at the end, but like unless you're catching that same thing inconsequential character all of a sudden now matters like he's for 30 years that company's been the the second you know the the, the pepsi the pepsi to coca-cola like the burger's supposed to believe that that it hasn't mattered until now and yeah it just just jumps well, up it, where it doesn't need to jump up so and one thing that i loathe in movies um the only one i can think of off the top of my head is scream three right now but i hate when you find out that there was a character that was there the whole time and you're just finding out about who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened in the last Jurassic World where you found out that Hammond had like this partner that helped yeah. build Jurassic Park. You James never heard Arnold. of him before. Yeah, right. But, you know, like, you know, I hate stuff like that. I, 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 I think it's lazy storytelling. I agree. Um, I, I also think that, um, do you watch Stranger Things at all? I don't, but I'll listen. I, I won't go to the spoilers, but there's an entire plot device this season that kind of functions like, Oh, but there was actually something else that was happening the whole time. And you didn't know Mm -hmm. it. And I hate that storytelling kind of thing. Luckily there's not too much of that in this, but the other thing I was going to say, the other star Wars connection is there's a lot of phantom menace vibes in this movie because they talk a lot about stuff that I guarantee you like 90% of the audience could give a shit about. Like, yeah. There's a whole talk about like farming infrastructure and how locusts work. Uh-huh. And, and it reminded me of like trade blockades and Senate, yeah. Senate meetings and Phantom Menace. And I'm like, no one cares. Just, you know, no. like just move on. You know, like it's, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's trying to be um, dimensional for the sake of looking dimensional. It doesn't have any meat behind it, you know? No, I agree. Um, closing thoughts here of this dumpster fire. <laughs> well you gave it two stars so let's 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 end I on a did. positive note let's end on a yeah. positive note give me two things that you think worked in this movie oh man two things that worked. um i like i said it's not caesar in in the war in the planet of the apes movies but um I, I dig blue and and the effect that blue has a child in there and that the chris pratt bond while not while not quite boiling water great um it's still there it's still solid where that was a nice piece for fallen kingdom for me was just like watching chris pratt and blue have that relationship and where mm. that could matter where that's nice to see a piece of that still here and, and be a bit of a, a kind of the movie's coda by the time you get to the end is you know that that return is meant to be a thing and then the i think um and then yeah like uh 
I know the romance angle of it is probably awful for us, but it, it is nice to see Sam Neill and Laura Dern. Um, I, I think my favorite part is their first conversation where they're just kind of catching up. I know it's kind of the awkward. I never, you know, it's all the never forgot about you cues of having your picture still up in the office and hold on. I should have cleaned up when you came by because I'm still trying to impress you. Like it's still bachelor and bachelorette moment between the two, even though they're at, you know, it's more senior age, but Dern and Neil sharing scenes together still works and it's still a charm. Yeah. That's my two. Uh, my two, I, there was a very excellently directed sequence in terms of like, Unique shot selection and actual tension when Bryce okay. Dallas Howard uh, parachutes out of a plane. Um, first, like her reaction to parachuting is really interesting. Like the way they film it, it, it kind of puts you like in her seat. Like, what would this be like if you were just suddenly like going out of a plane and parachuting into the middle of nowhere? Mm-hmm. That I thought was very effective. But then when she lands, she gets stuck in the trees and she's got to get out of that. And then she also has to hide underwater from this strange dinosaur that has the uh, hot dog fingers from uh, everything right. everywhere all at once. And um, I thought that was a very effective sequence, very well directed. It made me wish that a lot of the movie was like that. Um, God, I stumped myself on my own question. What's the <laughs> thing? You know what? Okay. We, you and I talked about this a little bit. You know, we were kind of disappointed that this is a Giacchino score. Yeah. Cause it really doesn't have any personality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, um, I do recall moments with the score that had a John Williams vibe to it. Not not just the theme, not the da 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 da, but there was kind of like these John Williams incidental things, like during mm-hmm. like scenes of tension that I actually really enjoyed. Yeah. Kind of kind of gave me a nice little throwback to the '90s a little yeah. bit. He was still making these, you know, incredible themes for movies. Um, so I'll give Giacchino a little bit of a credit there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so bad. That's, that's all I can to be. to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's really I, dumb things going on in this movie. Oh, there's, no. there's and I know. Across buildings. There's there's a, a shot where a T-Rex goes through a circle. So it oh, looks like God. the Jurassic Park logo, which is stupid. Uh-huh. It, there's really a lot of dumb stuff in this movie that's, I mean, just beyond comprehension dumb. But mm-hmm. Agreed. I and it, it, my my fear is that it's going to make enough money to fast track whatever pretend thing that they think is new and cool. Now. <sighs> Even if it, it and it'll just be another excuse to bring back Chris Pratt and like they'll say it's a new trilogy of something new, but you know they're going to come back to any of these people. So I don't know. Star Wars. Yep. Dead what horses beaten. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. Well, that's I, I can't talk about this anymore. So we're gonna move. No, on. No, I'm out. <laughs> okay. So please, if you're not disgusted with this conversation, because a lot of people seem to like it, because it's made a lot of money. Big uh, audi- big cinema score from the audience side of things. Yeah. 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 Oh boy, Ugh, humanity. Follow <laughs> us on Twitter at CinephileFit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. Also, find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, the new Banana Meter, and have become charter members of the new Independent Film Critics of America group. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and interesting hosts. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 